Hey, everybody. Today is uh, June 22nd, and this is another podcast episode of Tell Me About Your Tech Job. And also, iTech 350 Summer 22 SIU Carbondale Information Technology Program. Today, telling us about his tech job is a uh, former student and a cool guy that I've gotten to know a little bit, um, Jordan Johnson. Hey, on the fence about whether you're a cool guy, Jordan? Is that, is that where we're at? I think I'm aging out of cool, to be honest. I've done aged out of cool, man. It's, it's, it's not pretty. Um, but Jordan um, was in classes a few years ago. Uh, I know that he has a background that predates him going to SIU to study IT. And um, I wanted to have him because it's really interesting where he's at and what he's doing now, but also to talk about some of the roles that he has had and kind of the progression up the the ladder of of IT, because that's kind of fair to say that you've increased your responsibilities and your work difficulty and your skill levels throughout the years. Is that right? Yeah, uh, lots, lots of spare study time, lots of projects, lots of feeling like I was stuck in a few roles. <laughs> okay. But uh, it, it all lends, lends itself together to the whole picture. Awesome. Um, so let's, let's start out. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll start talking about the career and tech stuff. Sure thing. Uh, I'm just going to give you guys kind of like my boilerplate resume highlights. Uh, I have two degrees. The first one I got was a bachelor's in sociology. Imagine why I went back to school. <laughs> uh, the second one is a, the IST degree, a bachelor's from uh, SIU, where I took, I think, every class Tom had. <laughs> um, I've also got my CompTIA A+, Security+, Server+, and SIZA+, certifications on top of the HDI Service Desk Analyst and AWS Cloud Practitioner. I forgot to add that one in because I just got it. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I've been working in IT for approximately 10 years, but prior to that, I have been doing just about anything under the sun. I've worked in restaurants. I've worked in uh, insurance. I've worked in social services. I've worked construction. I've worked in factories. Uh, I've even worked on a farm. So, uh, yeah, there's the overall boilerplate. Okay. Uh, so you, you've, you've done a lot of stuff. Have you always had an interest in technology? Uh, no, I actually got very lucky and I kind of fell into IT. Um, I had just left the insurance industry, and which was a terrible experience for me. Is it like selling, selling in- insurance? Uh, no, it was claims adjusting. So it was, oh, okay. it was my first out of college job and uh, I was putting in about 60 hour weeks between travel and the day-to-day stuff. And it was exhausting, awful, and, high stress. You've got to deal with that gecko all the time. Man, I would have preferred to have dealt with a gecko all day, every day than all the head. It was just an insane position and uh, I don't recommend it to anyone. Okay. <laughs> So, so how did you get into the, the technology? Uh, so I fell into IT shortly after I left the um, insurance gig. I fell into a company called Ortho2. They do orthodontic software and practice management. Um, so what essentially that job is, it's uh, like a help desk, but the company was small enough to where it kind of offered a bit more of a white glove service. So. Uh, We covered our software, any problems that came up with it, configurations, installations, um, 
in certain respects, we'd sometimes handle uh, SQL queries and things like that. Obviously, we'd get trained on those before they let us touch it. Um, quick note, anytime you're doing SQL stuff, make sure you double check your uh, quotes and apostrophes and everything. I did delete a production database Ooh. at one point. Luckily, they had a backup. So that's, a, that's one of those mistakes you make once <laughs> in, your, in your career. Um, but yeah, essentially, it was just uh, your basic kind of help desk, but you also got your hands on printers, servers, a little bit of SQL. Um, but the call volume was largely, you were expected to take at least 20 calls per day at minimum. And uh, it was one call resolution, pretty much. They didn't want it coming back. So there were days I had to do 12 hours. There was one day I did a 10 hour call. Wow. Front to back. Um, we got, now, was we this, got, we got was this a, well, good. Was this in the day when you had remote access, you could like connect in through like a log me in or something like that? Limited. So a lot of these uh, orthodontic practices are kind of smaller mom and pop shops. So some of their infrastructure just would not support any kind of remote access. And it was along with some of the software platforms we were running at the time. Um, this is about nine years ago or so. So high speed hadn't really been fully shot out to all the areas yet and it might not um, have been re required for for what they did yeah exactly like some of the softwares you could just run locally with no internet um you could just do it on a local lan and that's all you needed um some of the newer software we had out at the time was a cloud-based solution which was really cutting edge at the time now it's kind of standard um but yeah the uh i think the best part about that experience is it gave me a very solid foundation to work from not only in how i present and talk to people of any technological background because you have doctors with phds who can't turn on a computer but then you've got their office assistant who's like oh yeah i did this and i made a vb script very strange to come across that in the wild <laughs> um but i think help desk is these days is a mixed bag because uh, it can be a really good place to get your foundation. On the other hand, it's one of those, if you're really good at your job, it's really hard to move out of it. But if you're not good at your job, it's also hard to move out of it. Um, so I'd say if you're thinking about getting into help desk, make sure you have a clear career trajectory or uh, you'll do what I did and wind up doing help desk at Ortho2 for three years. And then I did Best Buy uh, when I moved to Texas and their advanced repair bay. Uh, and then I wound up doing help desk for another two years at the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley, got a promotion there, and then I wound up moving back to Illinois, and uh, then I took Tom's classes. Cool. So a couple things I wanted to kind of make note of is, first, I, I've also been in the help desk role, um, and, and phone support and in-person support is something I wish that you know, anybody who gets in technology could just take like, even just like a one credit hour mandatory, you know, brain dump, how to interact with users and how to empathize and understand that, you know, they are maybe an orthodontist and they don't care that, you know, you're clicking the, they're clicking the button you tell them to click the other button, that type of thing. And, and another thing, I think um, what I have found is um, in some of the larger organizations uh, that have, you know, a big IT support infrastructure with a large call, call center or help desk, and they usually have various tiers. And what I experienced the place I worked for when I was in college back in 2001, 
I worked for, it was Arthur Anderson, one of the, the big five accounting firms back then, the Enron shredding people, that's who they were. Um, so I worked for them and, and they were very intentional about moving the help desk people up and making sure that those who were doing good that wanted to bump up didn't stick around and just you know hang in the call center taking phone calls all day. They got the chance to move up to be an engagement tech who were the people who were sent throughout the, you know, we, had, we were in a 30 story off, office building. So they went around and then they had server junior people. And so there was a clear pathway for those of you who want. But then again, I did see a guy who had been in the help desk for like seven or eight years. And that's what he wanted to do because he could sit on his butt and he could answer phone calls and not get up and have to do anything all day long. And it worked for him. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's, there's really a value, I think, in getting these, these experiences because it helps you when you get to have a job like, you know, that you're doing a lot higher level stuff to, to understand where, where people are coming from and a way to interact with them. Yeah, I agree. Like help desk, I think, is a great place to dip your toe into. Uh, you just have to be really cautious these days with the way security is going in the enterprise level. You tend to get siloed off from a lot of access that you don't get exposed to a lot of things because your help desk, what do you need to log into a production server for? Your help desk, what do you need this for? What do you need that for? What do you need to know about this? So I'd say if you are going to be going into that role, have a very clear conversation with whomever is hiring you on, make sure that they know if, if it's you find it's where you want to stay, great, fantastic. But otherwise I'd say, make sure you have a very clear understanding with your hiring manager, your boss or someone that you're like, this is where I want to go, but I'm happy to work my way up through that. Um, Nothing is worse than feeling frustrated or stuck when you're performing a job that's usually fairly high stress, somewhat low pay, uh, and especially once you've mastered it and you have no more skills to acquire or no ability to acquire new skills. Yeah. Uh, another thing I learned from the help desk was um, this idea of quanti quantitating or quantifying your performance. Um, and, and you're shaking your head because you know, like every month we'd get the, how many tickets somebody, you know, each person in our group opened, how many were they closing? What was the rate? And, you know, and that was how you measured who was doing the best. And when I left and I went to other jobs, and this is something I try to always tell students when we talk about careers and, you know, what you should do. When I went to other jobs and I, I learned this even better at the next, um, the place I worked at before, before teaching, uh, it's important for you to keep track of your work and find ways to put a value or quantify it with a number, whether that be, you know, like the amount of hours you've saved um, from downtime by implementing something or the, you know, number of, uh, of dollars you've saved by changing the way the backups work, you know, quantifying things. And quantifying in a, you know, not just number of minutes Tom spent on the phone, but what the heck does that mean, right? That's, he's on the phone. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing because he sucks at his job. But, you know, the number that relates to the managers above you, what you've done to make the business perform better or the organization perform better. Keeping track of those things yourself so that when you go up for your review, whatever they have, they have. And then you've got, well, guess what? I've also done some calculation. I learned this because one of the guys that I worked with, he implemented a very simple group policy 
uh, in an Active Directory environment, and and all it did was, and this was this was a while ago, but all it did was was push out the antivirus updates that we didn't have a you know a fully centralized um, AV solution. So it pushed them out regularly when people logged in, and so he calculated up how many minutes a person would have spent going around to each computer times the number of computers and doing those updates and figured out at a whatever base rate how much he'd save this company in the first month. And that made a big impact when he went for his review. And he got, you know, he got some uh, some kudos and a promotion, I think, just, just from keeping track of that stuff. So yeah. Absolutely. Uh, something to keep in mind, especially when you're working for a company, is don't do anything for free. That means the uh, side work or bonus projects or hobby projects you're taking on, make sure you are accounting for that uh, and how much you're bringing to the company and how much you're adding. Uh, but also make sure what you're doing is visible because you know I've done a lot of free work in my time, uh, even at uh, SIU and I worked there briefly. And you know if they don't know it's happening, they can't reward you. Um, so... And they'll just assume that it's something you're supposed to be doing. Yep. And pretty much the uh, one of the downsides is the better you are at a job, the more likely you are to get more things thrown on top of you because you're fast, you're efficient, you do things correctly, they know it'll get done. So uh, be good at your job, but also be able to set some boundaries. My my going into seventh grader, the middle child has has recently realized that the better he does at doing his chores. And, and I try not to, we try not to, but you know, do the dishes, Elliot. Okay. Well, he did the dishes and we didn't get to, you know, hear about it for three or five hours. So let's have him do them next time. You know, not too fair, but, um, but we get what you're saying. We get what you're saying. Um, okay. So you, you worked various roles. Uh, was it mostly call center? Or was it call center in and, and in person? when you were um, bouncing it, around through the various organizations? So early career is mostly call center. Um, once I moved over to, I want to say Best Buy and then UTRGV, which is a university down in Texas. Um, it was mostly remote in the call center, though I would occasionally do um, like in-person visits. Like if it's something I know how to fix, desktop guys were unavailable and it was just a quick trip. Um, the best buy action where I was in the repair bay was very useful in getting me more familiar with various technologies. Cause, uh, until I'd done that, I had never actually touched a Mac. Oh, okay. And, uh, talk about humbling is the first day you can't find the power button on an iMac. <laughs> I was sitting there doing this, like, where's the button? Where's the button? Thinking maybe there's a visual thing going on. Uh, yeah, it was very awkward. And then like, it's flush on the back. Interesting, um, interesting fact. In 1999, 2000, I got hired to take over for the Mac guy here at SIU on campus, like the guy that was the primary call in support. And I had Mac experience, but as a 19 year old kid, I became SIU's Mac guy um, for a year and a half or something like that. And I didn't even own a Mac. So but they're so simple, right? They don't need antivirus. All you do is find that power button and things go. Sure. sure. <laughs> um, I, I won't bring up other areas on that. Let's move on. <laughs> um, 
so yeah, after I did through help desk uh, I, and graduated from SIU, I actually got on with SIU as one of the land administrators. Um, that was kind of a hybrid desktop analyst role coupled with a bit of server maintenance, kind of a, you wear whatever hats come your way. Um, even if you don't know anything about it, it's your job to kind of learn it. Um, through there, I got a lot of hands-on project experience um, in both managing myself and others in projects. Um, Jamf, uh, relating back to Max, was a big encryption project that uh, SAU was running to try and get all of our Max compliant with uh, state and federal security regulations. Um, so I had to help that. I was kind of a trainer, coordinator, you name it. Um, I also dealt with several clinical areas that had um, very specific requirements in regards to what kind of reporting they needed available, what kind of security they had to have. And I had to make sure that that was all lined up <clears throat> and I would have to file that in through our security team, which at that point I think was Jeff Squibb, who was like one guy. <laughs> um, and, and you're talking things like the, the clinical center where they bring in people and they do counseling and autism center and things like that. So, so HIPAA kind of stuff, healthcare yep, type of stuff. Yep, HIPAA, FERPA, even some PCI DSS stuff. Um, Which is payment cards. Yes, yes. Uh, and it was a, a large volume of work, very much a fire hose situation. Uh, the time I got hired, it was me and two other full-time employees and a student worker. And within my first year, I lost my student worker and one of my full-time employees and the other one went out on medical leave for six months. So went from a three-person shop down to a, a me shop. And uh, so my big focus there was automation. Um, but That's huge. It, it, it kept me busy. <laughs> it kept me busy. Um, and through doing that, I've discovered uh, I have a pretty good eye for documentation and process improvement. I did a lot of kind of that free work for SIU in regards to building certain programs that we just didn't have. Like we didn't have an onboarding program for new LAN admins. They literally handed you your keys and your passwords and were like, good luck. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I put together a training program for that, uh, onboarding awesome. program for that. I did uh, a lot of how-to article writing. Um, I also met with uh, our current CIO, Will Clark, um, back when he was like an associate CIO or something like that, and uh, discussed with some uh, him some improvement options I, I foresaw. Um, I also got a digital signage standard set up for the entirety of campus. Oh, which, which one was that? Uh, Rise Vision. Okay. So that, that, uh, I don't know where it's at now because it pretty much got approved right as I was leaving over to this role. Um, but shortly after, let's see, I did that for about one to two years. And then I got on at SIU on the AIS team. That's, uh, I think, administrative information, information systems. systems. Yeah. Um, and that's what that's what runs uh, like your Saluki net and banner. That's all that stuff, guys. Correct. Correct. Um, and that job had a little more SQL activity involved. Um, I was led to believe it was going to be more project-based, like project management, uh, but it really was more of a tier three help desk slash project situation. So uh, once I discovered that, I kind of started looking again, but great team. I have nothing, nothing bad to say about them. I just, I think the job ad was not written quite how they were meaning it to be. Um, but I did that for a very short time, but I built them an onboarding program as well, uh, since they had a problem with turnover. 
And uh, that brings us to my current role. Uh, shortly after leaving there, I got onto my current job here at Guild Mortgage. Uh, I'm an IT governance analyst. So I do a little bit of the security stuff. I don't do a lot of the technical stuff, but they're learning I am technical. So they keep throwing things in my way. <laughs> Yay. Yep. Yep. Keep, I've already, keep, uh, keep those skills they're not paying you for hidden. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, the, uh, <laughs> the manager of the security team was like, hey, you want to be on my team? I was like, yes, but internal policy says I can't leave my current role for the first year. He's like, that's cool. Just let me know when your time's up. So I'll probably Good be moving into a new role next year. <laughs> um, but yeah, so in regards to what I do here at Guild, um, I do a lot of internal process review, uh, a, lot, a lot of auditing. So tell um, us, what, what, is, what do you mean by internal process review? So we have a ton of work documents and procedures and protocols to follow. And the and company... The, and the the company, I'm, I'm sorry to keep interrupting you, but it's Guild, it's a mortgage company, right? Yes, so Guild Mortgage. Okay, so They're, people apply for mortgages and get them, or they are kind of our mortgage brokers back and forth between? I think they're lenders. a mortgage broker, brokerage. Um, honestly, okay. I don't get read into much of the actual business <laughs> side of it because I do IT, internal facing IT largely. Yeah. Which is great, not talking to end users. Got to say that up front. Um, but as far as the internal processes, procedures, review, um, say for instance, we have developers. We run a program called Jira, which is kind of our software development lifecycle management platform. Uh, it's just like a ticketing platform, but it's a little more convenient to do sprints of software deployments and notes and kind of make sure everyone's got the appropriate approvals for everything. Part of my job is reviewing the Jira, making sure one, they're following the timeline, Two, they've got all the necessary evidence to support, yes, we are ready to deploy X package at this point in time. That means we have a SVP, a senior vice president approval. Uh, usually we'll also have a technical approver of some level, like either the head developer or uh, sometimes we'll have CTO sign off, uh, depending on the, the level of change. Once those changes are complete, we then go through every month and we audit all the changes that have been done. Then we can make sure that all those changes were following appropriate procedure. We didn't have a developers like, eh, I sent out the ticket saying I, I want the approval, but I would just went ahead and did it because, you know, that's a big no-no, especially now that we're a public company. We got to make sure we're following our procedures and policies much more rigorously because we have federal standards. We have local standards. We also have to be uh, liable to our shareholders as well. So very a very high emphasis on analysis detail and i'm finding i'm only four months into the job so still a little new but definitely finding it requires an extended amount of focus and a surprising amount of excel skills which didn't have before i got on okay so you're primarily dealing with the application development side um and so processes and procedures associated with the building of their apps that, that run the business? The, the, the entirety of IT is, is my purview. So uh, okay. this, this also incurs like AWS changes. If we have infrastructure side changes that are going through on there, I have to review those changes as well. Um, also local, say we're making changes to our firewall or infrastructure or security. <clears throat> my job is pretty much making sure everyone's following protocol. 
step and, one. And is it fair to say that, that your job involves the procedure and policy more so than the technology? Because it could be stuff you don't know exactly what the nuts right. and bolts are, or right. do they include I, that information? Do you have to look over those nuts and bolts? It, it depends upon the audit and the skill set in particular. If it's something I'm familiar with, like Active Directory, I'm fairly familiar with. I know a bit about Azure. I know a little bit about AWS. Uh, I can read SQL code. It Those things I usually don't need to farm out or get a consultant or a subject matter expert on hand, but uh, I've got a, an upcoming audit that I've never even seen the system that I'll be auditing. So I'm going to have to have a pre-meeting meeting, meeting <laughs> to uh, with one of the subject matter experts to get familiar with the ins and outs of that program and probably have a, a few consultations thereafter as I'm going through it. <clears throat> and why? Why do you have to do this? I know you mentioned like shareholders and what's the what's the big picture point? Well, what so could happen? If we don't follow our policy and procedure, both internal and federally mandated, uh, if we don't follow federal, we get dinged upon any kind of audit review, like external audit. Uh, and that comes with a very hefty financial cost. Uh, the other big reason we do such hefty internal vetting and auditing and that kind of stuff is anytime you deviate from an established process, we get more vulnerable, especially when it comes to infrastructure changes. So like if so-and-so wants to make a firewall change and open up port 443, for instance, to the public for insert any inane reason you can think of. Um, if they just go ahead and do that, the rest of the business doesn't know that it's happened. And so the approvals and procedures and making sure we follow all that is to make sure everyone has uh, view, visibility on the change to occur, and then they have approval to perform the change from a variety of experts in those areas, make sure that doesn't have any fallback effect. Um, we have had some issues in the past, uh, prior to me being here, where they ha had just fired changes off left and right, and then wound up taking out a full public web page of ours down for like a week. Okay, because like, you know that that firewall guy like you said they could they could be like open 443 no problem not going to hurt anything but they may not realize that the application guy who's making a minor change to an admin interface to a you know portal for your mortgage approving or whatever change it from 443 to 446 for some reason and if he doesn't know that and and that person doesn't know that they're making those changes then that is what causes those one hour or one week long outages yeah because then you got to go dig for what caused it and then backtrack it to who did the change and it's it's backwards <laughs> effectively awesome so this brings in a, a lot of times companies will just call this you know change management you're doing you're doing the the oversight and the audit of the change management for software and other types of changes yeah. big and small Pretty much change management across the board. Um, also, we're doing uh, some compliance work like with SOX and SSAE and stuff like that. So what is uh, SOX? Uh, Sarbanes-Oxley. Um, I'm not on that team, but I am facilitating some of the audits with that team, if that makes sense. So <laughs> I couldn't tell you what it does, but I can tell you their scope is more along the federal lines. I used to know SOX off the top of my head, but you know, four months in, haven't really had to do much with it yet. Um, as I recall, it's a federal 
reporting, financial reporting thing? Accountability in the financial sector. So Sarbanes-Oxley Act of 2002. And it, it's one of uh, a variety of different um, actual legislations, federal legislation, this one again targeting financial, which is in place to help financial companies ensure that they're making kind of a, I don't want to say minimum effort, because you, you, you never want a minimum effort when you're talking about security, but it's at least establishing the do's, you, the musts and the must nots. Um, and when you don't abide by that, since it's a, you know, it's a law, then there's fines. And when you're talking about fines, you know, the, the public company, talking about shareholders losing money, you're talking about, you know, loss of uh, reputation, which causes just stock prices to go down and that type of stuff. So, um, you know, SOX is one of a variety of different industry specific regulations or, or um legislation. And uh, I remember when somebody, when I, I used to have to do SOX audits too, but mine, mine were JSOX, which was Japanese SOX. It was the SOX that was for our parent company over in Japan that we had to comply with. And the one thing that people always told me when they were explaining it was like, you have your accounting system, right? The person who writes and puts in the invoice payment cannot be the same person who checks off to send that through so that you can't ever have somebody paying themselves. You've always got some level of oversight. And those are the types of things because it's process and procedure at that point. You know, it's not like it's, it's, it's routing, it's workflow within your application. And it's not necessarily, you know, a, a hardware piece or a component that you put in. It's it's just the way that you build your your applications in, in some sense. Yeah, it's a dissemination of duties. And uh, even in the audit sector, like I'm not the sole guy who says, yep, this is okay. I complete my audit. And then one of our senior fellows goes through my audit findings and make sure I didn't miss anything because, you know, human. Um, and then he actually publishes that to the RC suite executives. Um, and one of the other audit components that requires a lot of attention and detail is the evidence gathering. So you need completeness, consistency, and accuracy. So uh, for example, I'm doing an access review right now um, for our VPN users. The very first thing I have to do is gather a full list of our VPN users and what level of privilege they have through the VPN and any other additional bells and whistles that may be tacked on with it. Um, so I have to get that, store that, because that's the core raw list. Then I correlate that list with our hiring database, pretty much making sure all the people on that list are still actively employed with Guild, make sure their positions have not changed. Then after I do that and perform that full analysis and make sure all those permissions are correct as far as I view it, I then send that over to a department manager who handles the VPN system as a whole. And they review it and make sure that it is complete and accurate. And my analysis is correct. Would they then flag any accounts that need to be removed? I then create tickets to get those accounts removed or disabled. Then we store that as an evidence. Once all that's complete, we verified all the accounts are removed. We then do a fresh sample. And then we have a kind of the completeness saying, all the previous accounts have been removed. This is our new raw list of VPN users. And 
these are their permissions. And so we verified that we had the accounts removed, everything is correct, we're good. And then they sign off on that. That then goes on to the uh, kind of the senior level governance analyst in my area for a final review and packaging. And these things are important, you know, just as a good example, but not just because you're, you know, the, the law requires you to do types of audits and policies and procedures, but it also can be like, you know, if you're doing all this stuff to help ensure you've got a good solid information system with, with good security and something still happens, you know, that, that class action lawsuit that comes towards you from your affected customers may not have the bite that it would if you were negligent. You know, if you're doing all these things right, you're putting your company in its best position and, and you know, people, things happen and, and you're trying to protect the company and, and, and by extension, the shareholders because um, it's publicly traded. So one question I wonder about because I have worked with auditors in the past, I um, worked with uh, SIU um, helping create some policies along uh, the password policy and emails policy a while ago um, and, and worked with, what, you didn't like that one? <laughs> it was a long time ago. It was probably 2010 or 11 that I was helping work on some of those ones. Say so those 16 character passwords are murder. <laughs> they are, but it was for that landman vulnerability mm. in Active Directory that was still around, you know, the 15 character or 14 character or less deal. Um, so that was the strategy there. And, and other universities I know up until recently had only like an eight character. Uh, there was one university I know of, it was like you could have a seven or eight character password and that was it. And that was pretty bad, um, but we won't talk about that. Going on to what, what I was talking about, what I wanted to get into was how do, how, do you, how do the people within your organization see you? Because auditors sometimes get kind of this negative, you know, they're kind of the bad guys. They're kind of a pain in the butt. They're there to ask you to do all these things and show all these things. And they're going to find out if people are doing the wrong stuff. You know, if I made a mistake, they're going to find out and they're going to tell on me. And that's your job, sort of. Um, how, what is the relationship like between you and those you audit? Do you have the support and buy-in from their managers and, and the, the folks as a whole? Yeah, um, I will say I've been very lucky with this company. They've got an excellent corporate culture. Um, it's very collaborative um, and they have a very clear understanding that this is a necessary evil, as it were. I wouldn't um, consider you evil, Jordan, but annoyance? <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> okay. But um, I think the biggest factor in doing this type of job well in auditing, especially internal auditing, when you kind of work with the people on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, you've got to have people skills. You've got to have a clear idea of who your audience is, what you need from them, what they need from you, uh, but also how to get to done. Um, you cannot be, even if you're a very pleasant conversationalist verbally, uh, if you write like you're a jerk, people aren't going to respond to you. So you have to be have a friendly, professional demeanor that's also approachable. Um, you, you've heard the act, ad, idiom uh, flies with honey, like more flies with honey. Uh, you don't have to be flowery, but 
you can't be a jerk. These are people who have their day jobs as well. And you're asking them to do something different from what their normal day to day is. So you have to have an understanding that they have time commitments, they have projects, but you also need to have your P's and Q's taken care of. Um, and that's where a good relationship with your C-suite comes in. Um, I've met with all of our C-suite executives. Uh, my boss is a, uh, she's also a member of the C-suite. Um, she just got made a member of the C-suite six months ago. Um, but she is fantastically competent and hardworking and uh, very blessed to be in this position under this person because she's very, very good at encouraging not only us to improve our skills, but also improving the communication between other departments. So development, for instance, is usually a really hairy one because we have to get pretty nitpicky and sometimes they have to do things really quick. So it's very, it can be a very adversarial relationship at times, but uh, between her and the rest of my team, we do a very good job being like, hey, I know you guys are busy. Here's what we need. Here's what's going on. Or, hey, we found these things. So-and-so is doing these things. Just make mention and we'll have it documented. If it becomes a repeating problem, like something we see commonly, that's when we have to kind of bring the hammer down. Um, but generally, like once they're notified of it, as long as they, you know, are fairly adaptable individuals, it's not too big of an issue. Um, but if you have a very adversarial corporate culture, that's that could be a completely different story. And I think I, uh, at one role, was in this this kind of you know there was a, there was a time period when organizations didn't understand uh, you know as a whole why information security doing things like audits and reviews, change management processes were important. And so information security policies, practices, trainings, awareness was all seen as an annoyance and a burden. And now today, because companies are seeing, you know, their competitors or themselves being breached and getting hit by fines and some going out of business, they're understanding everybody, I think, is getting a better understanding of why we have to do these things. And, and so those auditors are, um, you know, maybe maybe they get a little uh, nicer response because of that. Um, what about external auditors? Can you tell us what, what they do and maybe your role or interaction with them? Uh, yeah, so currently we are working with, uh, or we just finished working with Baker Tilly. Um, we're working with a different vendor now. I'm gonna leave them out of it since. Yeah. I'm not sure, corporate secrets. <laughs> um, Baker Tilly we used in the past. Um, pretty much what these external auditors are doing, at least in my organization, is they are looking to kind of coach us on these more complicated federal compliance guidelines and things like that, like SOX, like SSAE, make sure that when it comes time for us to submit our materials to the federal government for review, we're not going to get dinged on anything. So they're, they're kind of like a coach effectively, making sure where our posture is as good as we can get it and our processes are as good as we can get it. Um, so, so far, as far as interpersonally, they, they're fine. They're a little um, brusque would be the best term I can use, okay. but they're probably doing multiple audits in a given day. So they have to manage their time very carefully. Um, I think the most complex aspect of managing that relationship is that sometimes they want you to go to 
such granular detail that it's not feasible to get to them in a in a time frame like an appropriate time frame um uh, for instance like they wanted us to take raw samples of say user data break that down crunch it analyze it get it signed off et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and have it all done within two weeks. Some of these things take me at least two weeks to get from our internal people because, you know, they have projects that are run the business. Um, so sometimes you have to set their expectations as far as like what's doable, what's not. Um, but again, that really comes down to what the task is at hand. I think that your, your explanation or your kind of, um, comparing the external auditors to coaches is probably one of the best ways I've ever heard external auditors talked about because when, when I have had audit, when I've had to work on audits and, and support the groups that are working on audits, it was always, they were adversarial. You know, they were very adversarial it was those guys are bugging me. I have such a pain in the butt and, and, and this idea that they're helping you do the best you can and improve so that you're doing the best you can for your shareholders. It's really good. That's, that's kind of, that's great. I'm going to, I'm going to take that with me and remember that going forward. That's a good one, Jordan. Um, we're going to get close to wrapping up. So let's talk maybe um, the big compliance standards you're up against. You know, you've mentioned socks. Um, what are the other things that you kind of look and have to, be focused on and, and think through in terms of regulations or um, standards uh, in your job? Uh, I think the biggest challenge I have currently is I'm still new to the organization. So I'm still learning our footprint as far as like, like we have AWS stuff going on that I know we have something there, but I don't actually know what it does yet. So understanding how the data moves from application I've never seen to software I've never seen to API I've never seen to and finding out all the necessary auditing steps along the way I think that's probably the most challenging aspect of it um, as far as the kind of federal SSA and SOC stuff I haven't had to do too much hands-on with that yet um, but I actually have a meeting this Friday with the SOX team we have kind of a governance and then we have SOX and compliance branches in our governance team, um, where I'm going to be going through our entire Azure stack of offerings. And uh, I've got uh, two subject matter experts that should cover the bulk of it uh, so I can get a clear idea of kind of what our map is. Um, and then I've got to loop in our project manager, one of our C-suite guys, and probably the manager of the SOX team. And I've got one other guy in there, but I can't remember what his exact title is, but he does everything. <laughs> so uh, it, it'll keep me busy. Okay. Um, I have I have a couple of uh, my, my standard questions I'll ask in a minute. Is there anything anybody has for questions for Jordan? Anybody want anything you want to know? Been pretty interesting today, Jordan. Anything that I didn't ask you that I should have or that you want to tell students? Uh, yeah, I'd like to go through a couple of quick bits of advice I have, um, especially for those who are kind of coming around to graduation. Uh, first and foremost, forget what you know about job hunting. Get on LinkedIn, work your page, work your connections. 
Uh, I can honestly say the only reason I have this job is because I really started focusing in on LinkedIn. Uh, I was firing off applications left and right, getting middling success, but it was taking a lot more time than it was worth, to be honest. Um, and LinkedIn, you build your connections. You find someone who's in an area that you're interested in. Like me, I followed a lot of GRC people. I followed a lot of security people. You start conversations with them. Next thing you know, hey, so-and-so's got a job ad. You put in a comment, say, hey, I'm interested in this. Here's, here's what I can do. And next thing you know, you're hooked up with a recruiter. I got this job in the span of a week when I wasn't even looking for this job. Uh, it, it just happened that quickly. Um, recruiters can be your friend, but don't give them the, don't give them everything. Don't tell them what salary you're looking for until you have a clear idea what the job details are. Um, a lot of recruiting agencies that are out of the country, a little spurious. So dip your toe in, don't go full hog. Um, as far as learning and progression, I think the best advice I can give all of you guys find out what you want to specialize in. You can be a jack of all trades, but especially in this industry, if you're a jack of all trades, you're not really going to be progressing that far. You're probably going to get stuck in a help desk role because you can do everything. Help desk does everything. Um, if you're into cloud stuff, the cloud practitioner exam is super easy uh, with a bit of study. And uh, a cloud guru is, you can do like a week long free trial I just powered through that, got the cert. Super, super good. Uh, on the topic of certs, and I'll wrap up here in like two more seconds. Um, specific is better than general. Um, like CompTIA generally is okay, especially if you don't really have anything else on your resume. Uh, if you do like the A plus, N plus, and Security plus, it's kind of like a, the holy trinity for CompTIA. After that, I'd say try and get something more specific like a Microsoft, uh, stacks or like an MTA, MCSE, that kind of stuff, or Cisco, if you're into networking and security, uh, you'll just find more jobs with that as opposed to being kind of the, the journeyman, every, every man uh, with the CompTIA stuff. Uh, that's pretty much all I got, unless anyone's gotten any, question, any questions. Awesome, Jordan. Well, I have my Standard questions now that I've got for you. Five questions, rapid fire. What is your favorite food, restaurant, or cuisine? Favorite food, restaurant, or cuisine? Uh, I'll just say pizza because um, I'm still a 17-year-old at heart. <laughs> and, and Okay, so any specific restaurant, favorite pizza you've ever had? What Tell us. About. Around here, it's definitely Pagli Eyes. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, I mean, you're, if you're a Quattro's fan, I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, I, I, I delivered pizza for them for six months or nine <laughs> months. So, so I, you know, I've got the allegiance. Mm. Um, any podcast books, movies, TV shows about technology you've seen recently or that you've seen in the past and you want people to know about or that you particularly like? Uh, TV shows. Uh, let me look it up real quick. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. Uh, halt and set fire. Okay. It focuses around kind of like the, I think it's around the late eighties, early nineties when laptops were first coming around and they get pretty technical as far as their descriptions, but it's still an interesting show. Um, I stopped watching cable TV before I could finish it, but I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, 
other media generally um, for training stuff, Professor Messer is a great intro introductory uh, YouTube channel. Um, good for uh, like your A plus, Network Plus, Security Plus. Mm -hmm. And he does a really good job of explaining stuff and he's got really good materials. Awesome. Uh, is there a specific technology that's kind of on your radar you would like to learn about or play with either personally or at, uh, at your job that you haven't had a chance to get? Uh, I'm currently dipping my toe into the Microsoft Power Platform. So I've done a little bit of Power BI work, a little bit of Power Automate work, um, and I'm trying to get us to a more automated audit process. Because okay. as it stands right now, like me and the other kind of newer person, we do monthly audits and it takes us about three quarters of the month to do all the monthly audits. And then we have like a week to do the rest of our duties, um, which makes it a bit challenging. And they're, they're, management's aware that's a problem. So I've got their buy-in to start researching that. Um, but yeah, I think that's any kind of automation is something hands down you should try and learn. Like if you are a good developer, PowerShell person, or anything like that, leverage those skills because you are going to be invaluable. Definitely. Um, how do you think your role, or maybe better off, how do you think your career will change over the next five to 10 years? Well, uh, it's changed pretty drastically in the past couple of months. Um, I What I'd like to do is like, I'd like to stay with this company. I rather enjoy it. Uh, I think what will most likely happen is I will transfer over to the security team because as much as I enjoy kind of the, the soft skill development and things like that, I miss doing some of the technical work. Um, and it kind of dovetails more with my, I like to fix broken things <laughs> as opposed to find the broken things. So um, okay. pro that, that's probably the most likely scenario of how that will progress. Uh, that being said, it is a job seekers market right now. And, and IT uh, working from home is super common now. Uh, and also salaries are booming. Um, that may change with the gas prices and stuff, but it's been pretty good. Um, so we'll see if a really tasty offer crosses my desk, I may hop again. And lastly, if you were to retire today, money was no object and you could do whatever you wanted, what would you do? I would write a novel. Oh. Yeah, okay. I, really, I really enjoy creative writing. Like technology is one of those things where I fell into it. I have facility with it. I enjoy it reasonably enough, but it's not a passion directly. Um, but it, you don't have to have a passion for the work to get satisfaction from the work. Very awesome point. That's really good, Jordan. Thank you very much. I will.